0: Hello everyone, you're listening to Digital Builder, a podcast brought to you by Autodesk, made for construction professionals who want to hear from those on the forefront of construction technology. If you're looking for conversations centered around where the industry is going, this podcast is for you. Each episode will feature a conversation with a construction industry leader. Together, we'll dig in on themes related to connected construction and discuss where the future of the construction industry is headed. Now let's get started.
1: and welcome to episode 19 of Digital Builder. I'm your host, Eric Thomas. This week, we'll be discussing augmented reality, or AR, virtual reality, or VR, and how they're used in construction. To help tell the story, I'm joined by Dr. Mani Goparvar, the CTO and co-founder of Reconstruct, and Angel Say, the co-founder and CEO of Resolve. In addition to his role as CTO, Mani is an associate professor of civil engineering, computer science, and technology entrepreneurship at the University of Illinois, his research on computer vision and construction management led to co-founding Reconstruct, a company that creates reality models from photos and 360 videos and integrates them with BIM models and project schedules. An angel before his role as CEO has had an exciting history with virtual reality, starting in 2014 when he won the TechCrunch Disrupt Hackathon in New York City with a VR hack for visualizing the impact of new developments in cities, pulling him firmly into the world of immersive tech in the built-in environment in 2015 angel and his co-founder were part of Y Combinator a Silicon Valley startup incubator and last year the teams launched resolve a collaborative VR platform for reviewing 3d models on easy to use virtual reality tech so Needless to say, we've got some impressive guests on the show today to get to the bottom of AR and VR in the construction industry. Thanks for joining me on the show, gentlemen. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us.
2: Thanks for having us, Eric.
1: First off, today we're going to jump right into the what and why behind AR and VR to better understand the technology and how it's used on the job site. From there, we'll find out how you out there listening can easily get started using these tools yourselves. But before we narrow our focus to the construction industry specifically, I want to define what we're referring to with the terms augmented reality and virtual reality. Angel, can you walk us through these concepts?
2: Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. I think when, when I think about these two technologies and what they represent, it really boils down to bits and atoms to get, you know, low level here. Bits meaning, you know, those ones and zeros in computers and then atoms being the building blocks of of the physical world. If we're talking about virtual reality or VR. It's all about full immersion, meaning you've got uh, a device on your head, possibly, that is using sensors and a computer to hijack your senses and make you believe you're somewhere other than, you know, let's say, your home office. And it's because it's completely virtual, it gives you these superpowers and lets you, um, you, know, you don't have to obey the laws of physics, which, which have its benefits that I think we'll, we'll touch on today. As an example of what I could do, you know, I could put on a headset and teleport from my home office to Hawaii, let's say, or an unbuilt building for a more relevant example. That's with VR. With augmented reality or AR, it's about augmenting the world around you, meaning you're taking bits and you're overlaying them on the atoms in front of you. And so that could be metadata about pipes that you're looking at, um, or it could be hey, I want to bring a piece of equipment into my home office so that when I get to the site, I know what I'm dealing with. I think that that's how I think about VR and AR.
1: And you've really touched on my next question then is like, how do we tie this back to the construction world specifically?
2: Yeah, I think again, using the, the bits and atoms metaphor here, both technologies really blend the worlds of, of bits in which technology, construction technology like BIM exists and the physical world of atoms, which is where the actual construction and operations are happening. And so with these two technologies, you get those two worlds interfacing in different ways. And that's very good because it starts to break down silos that exist in the industry today.
0: Angel actually touched on definitions of VR and AR really well. I've had the opportunity of working on AR related technologies for the past five years. And my perspective on the nature of these technologies has evolved in earlier days, it was all about augmenting someone's view live, but for all kinds of practical reasons, we realized that you can also augment any form of reality capture data. If you have access to static image, a flat image from a cell phone device, if it's a 360 photo has been taken on the construction site, or if you have access to videos that are being provided from job sites and you're augmenting that with plan information from a job site, that's a form factor of AR. We are augmenting that version of the reality, that physical world has been captured via reality capture, and we are offering that interface to design plan data.
1: I appreciate that clarification. And, and to be honest, my perception was mostly in, in the former where it's like live in the moment with the headset on. And so I. that's pretty neat to really highlight that it's not always in the moment. You can step back and really dig in however you're leveraging the technology. And these tools sometimes really feel like science fiction, even though we're clearly already using them. And with that said, are there any common myths or misconceptions that we should debunk before we really get into the the how in the construction industry? Mani, I'd really like to hear what comes to mind for you first.
0: Yeah, so, you know, perceptions, especially around AR, has been based on what folks are seeing in uh, Hollywood movies. The fact that you will be able to uh, visualize all kinds of information at the right point in time, but there's a lot of details right there. Uh, meaning the ability to host up-to-date information on a device, the ability to be able to provide and filter that data as a function of what is it that you're looking at and being able to render that live with no delay of rendering are some of the key elements that there's some misconceptions around them. Folks expect that Things that they've seen are things that are readily readily available, which is not the case.
1: Angel, do you have any thoughts? Any common myths that you like to debunk when you start jumping into this technology?
2: Yeah, quite a few. But I think what what Mani said was really interesting. You know, people always talk about Minority Report as that quintessential example of augmented reality. You know, like swiping through things in the air. We're quite a ways away from that. <laughs> it looks a little different today in terms of misconceptions. There's another type of misconception that I often see which is from people who tried the tech even, you know, 5 years ago. The tech is rapidly evolving and so sometimes people tried it 5 even 4 years ago and it's come such a long way that they had a certain type of experience back then and they think, "Oh, well, you know, it's still the way it was back then." Some of that could be that you still need a huge computer and, you know, cables everywhere to power this sort of thing and it's really only like the BIM or the VDC experts who can use it, that's not the case. Now you have, on the VR side, headsets that are under $500, which is the cost of a tablet that anybody can unbox and and, jump into a a virtual environment on their own with minimal help. And that starts to really democratize the use of the technology, which I think is really important and, and it's an inflection point that we're at. So one common misconception that's more uh, industry specific is that VR and AR are going to help BIM and VDC teams the most. And I think it's quite the opposite uh, because BIM and VDC teams spend so much time in 3D tools like Revit or Navisworks. They're actually pretty good at what they do. They're really good with 3D controls. And it's actually some of the less technical end users who stand to benefit the most from VR and AR. But they might not know it right and they're not that they're not the tech forward ones they're not the ones asking for vr but once you get it into their hands they they love it so i think that that's one of the huge misconceptions it's like oh vr and ar is just it's just for the techie um, it's not
0: you're right it's vr ar and even beyond anything that comes to technology there's always that perception that anyone who is in the vdc department are the folks that should be interacting with that technology and everything else is for You know, superintendents, project managers, executives, and so on and so forth.
1: When I think of uh, the hardware, Angel, you mentioned something. I'm thinking back to the uh, the Virtual Boy in the '90s. That (laughs) that very faux VR thing that if you put your head or put your eyes up into it, it just made you nauseous and dizzy instead of you know giving you a pleasant immersive environment. Which which leads directly into my next question, actually, and I'd like to pitch it to you since you had some interesting insight there. Is what what does that hardware For AR and VR really look like? Is it all headsets and motion controllers? And I'm thinking about our listeners who might not have ever seen one, or like you said, we're using the tech five or ten years ago and don't have a sense for like what this really looks like now.
2: Yeah, it comes in uh, various shapes and sizes, right? If we start with VR, I mean, I would classify it as as being a headset-based technology, but it's not. It's not a crazy setup anymore. Everything you need comes in a box these days. It's a headset that goes over your head with two lenses and, and a display behind those lenses, which you know, as you move your head around, that display mimics the movement of your head. And it comes with two hand controllers as well so that you can interact with the world. You can take measurements, you can do sketches or you know do a dancing game on, on the gaming side of things. But there's also the move towards experimenting with technology like hand tracking so that you can have... You know, more natural, maybe closer to that minority report style type of of augmented reality we were talking about earlier. so it's 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 experimental. but these days, yeah, in a box, you get a headset and two controllers. On the AR side of things, it's a little different. Yes, there are headsets like Hololens or Magic Leap, uh, but there are also phone-based uh, augmented reality where you can hold your phone up and, you know, Overlay information on the physical world in front of you, and and that's why you start to see devices like the iPhone have more sophisticated uh, sensors like lidar, so that it can do that sensing of your environment.
0: That's correct.
1: Impressive to me that like the iPhone has that lidar scanner in it, and you can you know just go out and get a pretty accurate scan from a tool that almost everybody has in their pocket now. Compared to you know the the depth of what that process looked like, you know even just a few years ago.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting one. You know, we get that comment uh, literally on a daily basis because we're in the business of generating reality models from images and videos. And the question is, can I tap into that LiDAR sensor that comes with an iPhone 12 device? Or can I tap into that sensor that comes with an iPad device? And, you know, there's some science and there's some art associated with <laughs> responding to that answer. And what I mean by that is, you, you know, we tend to look into this issue from an end-to-end perspective. I try to imagine, you know, someone who's on the job site wanting to use this technology. There's an element of carrying a hardware, there's an element of performing a capture with a device, then being able to benefit from that data. So it's an entire end-to-end experience. When it comes to iPhone and type of sensors you have on these devices, there's a limited range that is typically associated with these devices. So you have to keep your camera pretty close to structure to even get into the resolution that is prescribed by the specification of the device. The other aspect is that you're always bound to feel the view of the device, right? So if you're gonna do a complete capture, you have to make sure that you're capturing whatever's in front of you, whatever is in top, bottom, left, right, simultaneously. There's an element of what we call simultaneous localization and mapping technique that runs on these devices, which literally stitches. These are scans that are being performed over time. If you move the device really fast, uh, there's a possibility that the tracking would fade. So there's an element of uh, uncertainty associated with how fast you can move the device. And there's also a limited amount of memory you have on that device. So these kind of captures are great for small focused reality mapping need and then tend to be on the lower side of resolution. I don't want to use the word accuracy, resolution meaning unit of measure per pixel that is being captured with the device. And you know, in that end to end experience, are certain workflows that it would be really beneficial but beyond that there are alternatives for example if you want to do a quick capture maybe you want to go with a 360 video that can minimize time spent on the field and getting to the model that can be the baseline for that AR experience that is desired. So different ways of you know leveraging that type of sensor on an iPhone device.
1: It's really cool to hear just how widespread this this tech can be, and I appreciate the level set on you know just what the iPhone is capable of. I'm thinking back to the last GC that I worked at, and the main thing we ever used AR and VR for was simply in the bid and proposal process. We model a customer's potential building, and you know show them. You go, "Hey, you want to walk around your HQ that we're going to build for you? This is really cool." And it was a neat you know concept, but That's kind of where that conversation stopped. And it just sounds very clear that the breadth of what we can do is far wider than, uh, you know, the capabilities in the past five years ago that you guys were alluding to. And Mani, I think what you were just sharing nicely leads into my next question that I'd like to send your direction. And when we last spoke about AR and VR specifically, you were talking about how closely tied to artificial intelligence these are. Could you tell us a little bit more about that connection and how it impacts the workflows on a construction project?
0: Absolutely. I think... Part of our conversation was, what are the more modern trends of technology that are going to be complementary to the capability of AR? But if you want to stay on AR, I'd be happy to break it down into a few parts. So with every AR capability, one of the most foundational aspects is finding location of a user and the ability to map the scene. If you don't have a map of the scene, if you can find where the user's position is with respect to that map, there's no basis for augmenting that view with virtual information like the ones that Angel was referring to. So that ability of mapping and localization is key. And there are a number of artificial intelligence driven capabilities that have been around for quite some time. We don't necessarily label them as AI in the context of construction technology. You know, in the old fashioned way of thinking about it is an extension of photogrammetry techniques and in the more modern terms, it will be computer vision, which is a branch within AI. And that means the ability to automatically identify features, things that are interesting to be captured in images and video frames, find a way we can match them across many frames of a video if you're you know, walking around live, and then being able to triangulate the position in a three-dimensional scene so we can generate a basis for even augmenting that view. Then while we are creating this mapping capability, we always have to identify location and viewpoint of the camera against that. There's another aspect of being able to perform what we call image-based localization against that map. Now, whether you want to run this live, whether you want to run this asynchronously against the data that's been captured, there are different ways of addressing that, and there are bits and pieces of AI capability. Now, when you get into indoors, that detection and tracking capability, there's a lot of uh, room for improvement. And one of the areas that's pretty modern these days is to tap into deep learning techniques to improve the way features are being detected and matched as a basis of making these systems that are the basis of augmented reality more reliable. So the many bits and pieces on the AR piece of it. But the interesting part is, With the construction companies, I mean, we are not necessarily always uh, interested in understanding the details. We treat AR more of a black box, right? The ability that you're augmenting someone's view, someone's image or video frame with data. The question is, what can I do with that data? And I want to start touching on some of the construction use cases. The moment that you have design, Mapped against the reality, your minding goes into communication and coordination, some of the basics that we have in construction, right? If you're a superintendent, probably you want to make sure that that model is being color-coded based on trade responsibility. What is it that every contract has to be working on? If I can augment that view with elements being color-coded for company A, company B, I can minimize that time that is spending coordinating the work. If I'm about to perform a construction coordination, I have all the former with me on the site, I can have everyone looking to one consistent view and we can sort of play that animation in front of everyone. So we understand the sequence of traits as it relates to our look at plan. If it's an element of quality control, depending on how rich your design model is, you can contrast that design against the reality. So that would be another sort of a use case. Now, within every single one of these workflows, there's an element of AI that can be done. For example, in the first piece, it's an ability to contrast the plan, schedule, plus the design against the picture, which, you know, in early days when I used to work on it, I've been working on this problem for about 15 years. It was more a future for the work, but you'd be surprised. We do have owners and contractors that are requiring us these capabilities today in 2021 which is great. The other piece is, can I automatically perform pre-placement of concrete quality control? Can I find spacing of the rebar? Can I check conduits, embedments, openings? All that to be measured automatically for them. And of course, when you have pictures, as a construction person, your mind immediately goes into safety. Would I be able to automatically check PPE compliance? Can I understand activities of the worker and check them against some of the safety regulation from an OSHA perspective? So these are some of the areas that AI would benefit from combination of having reality capture data versus design. Now, if that's in the context of augmented reality, it's a little bit more complicated because computation may need to happen on the device, but we can discuss that too. It's so
1: interesting hearing you, you know, unpack how in-depth all these texts can be as far as what the AI can do in combination with the augmented reality. We had a great episode some weeks back focused on safety specifically and we unpacked a lot of these really interesting points and I think the the concept that comes up and I always like to reemphasize when we're talking about AI and automation is people shouldn't be afraid of this type of technology because it's augmenting things that we're not able to do so well and making them better or doing them at a scale that a human just simply can't do. Like I couldn't review 2000 photographs from a project site and check them all for safety compliance obviously a computer can do that and so you're just improving and allowing humans to do what humans do best especially with the re- labor shortages that our industries are you know aggressively dealing with right now
2: yeah i think the way you put it was was spot on right which is that like all of these technologies ar vr ai it really is augmenting people's workflows because especially construction has already moved towards having so much rich data in in BIM, which they're using to coordinate to produce drawings, there's so much data there that can be leveraged for so many other use cases. But for some people, like the, the barrier to actually engaging with that data is so high that if we can use some of this tech to make it easier for them, you know, you unlock so much more productivity for them. If I mean this is an AI, but you know, like like a a, a takeoff, right? It, it just gives you a, a simple list of quantities and that data was all there well imagine all these other like questions that people are asking that like where the answer is in the data in these bim files just developers and and companies have to work on on solving these problems with either you know ai ar vr but the, the point is like at the core is so much rich data that we can feed to these technologies to help people be more productive
1: absolutely you hit the nail on the head for me there because as i think about this so many of you know Autodesk customers and industry people that I speak to are often experiencing kind of a state of decision paralysis around how they manage their data because there's so much. And it's, it's why I really appreciate conversations like the one we're having right now, because you're applying some very clear expectations on how you can manage that data and where we'll get started. And we'll talk about that a bit in a, in a, in a little bit in the episode. But I know we've, we've covered the pre-construction and construction phases of the project lifecycle a bit. And I'd like to talk about owners specifically for a minute. And I'd like to learn more about how tech-focused owners are leveraging AR and VR or should be leveraging AR and VR during the handover and facilities operations phases. Mani, do you have any thoughts there? And the term digital twin is obviously
0: um, coming up as we think about this type of tech too. Absolutely, well, you know, I'd like to see if uh, Angel can go first to speak about VR because the VR is actually a piece that owners would probably start in earlier phases of a project life cycle. And I'd be happy to touch on it from an AR perspective for sure.
2: Yeah, totally. So speaking on, on the VR, you know, from speaking from experience with, with VR, I really do think it impacts the efficiency of the building after construction a lot, right? Uh, Eric, you mentioned earlier, you know, AEC tends to use VR a lot for, for bids and, and marketing. It has its place for that, sure. But for owners, it has the ability to get the people who will be inheriting the building, the operators, the end users, to review these design and construction files uh, a lot earlier. And, you know, kind of tying it back to that metaphor of bits and atoms, moving bits around because those are a lot cheaper and a lot safer to manipulate than oh we already installed it we've got to rip it off the wall and fix it or we've got to live with the inefficiency and we get owners tell us all the time right that when they're using vr they basically get 10 times more comments on their design and construction models than the alternative which is somebody screen sharing a 3d model with them and then someone trying to Basically, backseat drive where they're like, "Okay, oh, can, can you zoom in on that thing over there, or move a little to the left?" Which, you know, just describing it, I think you get a sense for how how inefficient and frustrating a meeting like that can be. But with VR, you can just say to the team, "Hey, you know, we've got a two week window. Go in, look for accessibility issues, look for safety risks, and and leave comments on that. And do that asynchronously so that we don't all have to meet up and and uh, align our schedules. And then we'll look at those comments." together and see what we can do to actually impact the the cost of ownership which for owners is is really important because yeah cutting down on capex and making sure you don't have change orders uh, is critical but if you're building data centers or an energy facility or a pharma plant you know downtime efficiency and safety are really really critical and you want to make sure you get that stuff right so I think with all the technology we're we're talking about it's it's about trying to increase confidence in the in the final product, which is the the facility that the owner will eventually operate.
0: Uh, you just touched on uh, some of the few uh, very interesting aspects of uh, issues that you know uh, owners are facing and the benefits. I also want to reflect on this, if you don't mind. You know, if you think about the project lifecycle, every project starts with a need. Right, there's an owner who has some need and that need needs to be translated into some programming document, then we translate into design documents, then we hand it off to the contractor to build it. One of the foundational challenges that we've always had in construction is this loss of information and how that owner is interpreting what they have in mind to the designer, designers trying to do their best to capture that intent. And then, of course, that information gets passed on to the construction company and all these tools that we've generated over time, including even RFI as a process, has been because of this information loss that we've had in the process. right? So if you think about VR and AR, from my perspective, in the early phases of the project, it really provides that opportunity for the owner to see the end product with a level of detail that matters to them, to be able to guarantee that vision that they have in mind is something that can be achieved. So in a lot of project pursuits and a lot of uh, even marketing opportunities, a lot of design engineering firms have a desire of tapping into these technologies to make sure that the owner sees the Quality of the design, quality of the deliverable that they're getting from that perspective. Now, when you hand it off to the construction team, you want to make sure that that evolution of design is complete too. It's something that you know, dominantly engineering construction people would be rallying around all of this products when you start generating a design model from early days and maturing that based on concepts like level of development per model discipline. As an owner, you want to be engaged in that process because you want to make sure that you cl- provide a clear handoff between what the designers are achieving versus what the Construction company would receive as a starting point for it, whether it's cost estimation, whether you already have a formal bidding process, whatever that is, and then it comes constructability. If you have a facility that you know is part of a larger campus, like some of the examples that Angel mentioned, uh, even data centers, you might want to make sure that you understand the impact of your new design and the sequence of construction as a function of other operations that are happening on your site. You know, we have an opportunity, for example, to work with Pfizer and Pfizer is a great company that's bringing you vaccines. And if you're working with Pfizer, you have no opportunity to make any mistake. The project needs to be on time, on budget, and we have to make sure that the technology supports that process too. So in the context of that, being able to demonstrate that constructability plan, that logistic uh, sequencing plans to the owner, so they can provide a clear handoff between, you know, construction documentation to contract, it would be really beneficial. And as you start mapping the sudden construction phase, one of the biggest pain points of contractors, payment applications. Everyone wants to be paid on time. Many of our projects are running you know, in cost plus contract forms. That means we are all paying for the project and we're getting reimbursed. Nobody wants to be delayed on that reimbursement. And we know the delays that are happening two, three months for many of our subs. So if we can provide the owner with an opportunity to verify the work, however that's possible, by contrasting the scope of the work that was promised to them from that sort of VR model Versus the reality that they're looking at, we have yet another opportunity to make sure owners are benefiting from it. And to your question, Eric, Eric, early about digital twins, that's really that as-built documentation handoff to the owner. Now you've provided a version of the truth of what really happened throughout the construction phase that can be used for liability purposes and can be augmented by sensor data. It can be used as a base of operational maintenance.
1: I love that framing on the digital twin piece as well. And we had a, a recent episode focused on that topic too. So anybody out there listening, tune back a couple episodes and you hear us opine away about that. But it's, it's encouraging to hear that more owners, not all of them, but more of them are starting to be more forward thinking about how they capture their data and a little bit more prescriptive at the beginning of what they're starting at that RFP stage to say hey i want x at the end of my project make sure you do y and z to ensure that i get it so they're they're more involved it's not just cool you guys are done building our project here's a pile full of binders and cd roms good luck with your you know turnover packages when you you know have a water leak and got to open up that wall so it's it's a different conversation and the technology is really getting to a point now where we can support it in a way that doesn't feel so obtrusive yeah i think
2: i want to just Elaborate on what you said, which is that you know after turnover, BIM. We hear from a lot of owners, BIM assets end up on hard drives, <laughs> right? And like they, they don't they don't get touched until maybe you need them uh, and hand them off to a new engineer or contractor working on a retrofit. But there's so much value that you can be tapping into even even after construction. And I think VR, we've seen it starts to open up some interesting use cases, uh, especially for owners because a lot of When we talk owner when we say owners it's a bit of an overloaded term right i guess when i'm referring to owners i'm thinking the the operations teams their their security teams right the people running their facilities their core competency is not to know how to use revit and navisworks and so these bim assets really are just okay great like there's these files don't quite know how to open them but with vr put on a headset you're walking through this bim file that's like one-to-one with what these operators are used to doing on site and so they can start to leverage that uh, asset for procedure simulations onboarding of new employees in the world of remote you know making sure people know what a site looks like before they visit and so you really start to multiply the roi of bim beyond the construction life cycle which i think is really really exciting
1: And that comes back to your earlier statement of on the construction side of things, bringing these technologies beyond just the VDC team, too. So it's there's there's an education conversation of, you know, these these aren't hard things to leverage if you do X, Y, Z. And then also just you know getting the tools in everybody's hands and letting them all know that they're there. So I think we've highlighted what AR and VR are all about and we've really unpacked what the technology is being used for on the job site, which I'm really appreciative of. I'd like to pivot now and focus on the how. And I'm hearing a theme from both of you that this tech is fairly straightforward to use, which I'm really happy to hear. And that might be a surprise to some of the listeners. So how can an eager non-technologist out there listening, especially somebody, as we mentioned a moment ago, without that snazzy VDC team to partner with, get started using AR and VR? Like what's their, I'm going to start now because I listen to this podcast and this sounds awesome. Like what should they do? Angel, I'll kick it to you on this one.
2: Okay. I think the first thing and the most important is to make sure that you understand the exact problem that you're trying to solve, right? Like all this technology, really exciting, really cool. Hopefully we're hyping it up on this podcast, but you've also at the end of the day have to make sure you know what you're doing with it. You have a plan, you have the end users uh, in mind. And then you can start looking into, okay, you know, what VR headset do I want? What what technology and software do I want to run with it? And thankfully that stuff's gotten a lot easier. Um, So after you know what you want to do with the tech, you then, the second most important step is go and get people VR headsets. You know, when, when I think about, or back to the earlier question about misconceptions, uh, one of the things I hear a lot about, and I, a mistake that I see a lot of people make is, well, we're going to buy one headset or just two headsets and let everybody share it. One in today's world, it's not too sanitary to be sharing something on your face, but two, It's a lot more empowering if you can buy a headset uh, and assign it to someone, even if it's just for the length of the project, because then when they have 20 minutes or 30 minutes to review the model, they can jump in and do it as opposed to having to go and, you know, check it out from the IT or the BIM or VDC team, because that's intimidating and it also just adds friction. And if you're, you're thinking, okay, well, I can't afford a headset for everyone. The good news is it's also gotten a lot more affordable. I alluded to you know the the lower cost of headsets earlier on the VR side. You know, there's devices like the Oculus Quest, which are three hundred dollars off the shelf. You can order it off of you know any local retailer, or Amazon. So that's it. Like you've got to make sure you've got equipment for your stakeholders so that they can go in and actually start to reap those benefits. And then you you know pick up a tool uh, that can leverage your existing. BIM assets or common data environment like BIM 360 to make the the actual process of getting data into your tool Uh, as easy as
1: possible. Mani, do you have any thoughts on that? Any tips for our listeners who are looking to get started with these
0: technologies? Yes, I mean, uh, Angel touched on a really good point. You know, start with the end um, in mind, which is uh, what is the problem that you want to solve and make sure that that problem gets solved. When you think about the problem, it's also important to know, do you have the right setup? Do you have the right type of data that can be used as part of whatever solution they are using to address that problem? And it's always an element of self-assessment that goes there in terms of how good, how how mature our data is to be able to support this capability that we want to bring to solve that problem. So, as a basis of that, there's an element of assessment that needs to be done. Let's just pick BIM models that will be used as a basis of VR and AR. Depending on what problem you want to be solving, you need to make sure your files are at a certain rate of maturity per model discipline, which is really hard to see even these days. You know, we desire to see models that are at shop drawing level of detail, but you only see them in certain type of projects data centers because for example electrical module happens to be a significant part part of the process and it does make sense for us to even spend the time modeling that right of course maturity is not just a f- function of graphical representation it's non graphical too so it's important to make sure that you have the right type of data then the next point, which I think it's also important to touch on, is designing KPIs. When you think about the problem, when you think about the level of effort that it takes you to prepare the data, and hopefully you already have it, then the question is, how am I going to measure the success of that data and the solution that I'm going to use to solve that problem? And there's a little bit of art in coming up with the KPIs because, of course, everyone who's engaged in the project is interested in making sure the project is done on time and on budget and the right quality and safety, no you know, no, no. Uh, no concern there. But then you also want to measure impact on personas that are using the technology too. Can I save time and can I cut out budget that is being spent on certain type of activity that the superintendents are spending on in the format? We know every project is understaffed. So if you're already overwhelmed with a significant amount of work that we do, the last thing you want to do is you want to add something else that takes more effort. And it chips off that productivity gain you wanted to you know, achieve off of that entire process. So designing that KPI is really important. And make sure you understand how many personas are being touched by that product and data. And once you've mapped that out, and of course you have to go to a piloting. We always love to spend a lot of time planning Planning and planning construction. Once you have the planning place, you gotta take it through an experimentation phase, piloting that technology and putting together a case of study. Ideally, within the context of your own organization, because it's an element of trust. You know, if you know, I wear my uh, reconstruct hat, I'm gonna be presenting to you a solution, and you're gonna see really some. Cool demos that I'm going to show you on the web, but you know you're going to really benefit and feel that ben- um, you know value that the solution offers if you touch it. So there's always an opportunity that you can work with vendors in designing, however you know a pilot project can be formulated engage your teams so they would help you measure you know, uh, performance against those KPIs. Once you have that case study formulated, you can start sharing that and use that as an internal sales tools as in, in your organization to bring that up to speed. Uh, there's also another thing that needs to be done at a company level, which is you know, a self-assessment at a company in terms of maturity of leveraging technology-driven workflows. And every company, every organization is at a different level in their journey toward you want to call it AI-driven solutions, AI-driven solutions, every type of technology. And that self-assessment is important. There are teams that are high-performing and there are teams that need more support. So mapping it out is important to make sure not only can demonstrate the value, but you know where the start point is for each team and what that ultimate you know, problem-solving uh, approach looks like for them.
1: I appreciate that context too, because... Like a, a billion-dollar general contractor's journey into adopting this type of technology is going to be wildly different than the twenty-million-dollar GC that you know is based in the Midwest or something, and so making sure that we're not trying to paint the same, you know, picture for every single customer and allowing them to step back and go, what am I trying to achieve? What are the resources I have? How is it gonna impact everybody? And then what is it gonna deliver at the end of the day? Really sets you all up for success in bringing all the stakeholders along, especially if you didn't have buy-in from everybody to begin with. And then also, as you had mentioned, making sure your data is just in that right spot because if your data is terrible, you're going to be you know, jumping into VR and everything's going to be a mess. And you're trying to work through all these workflows and the complexity there is going to be, I think, a barrier and might actually reduce your likelihood of getting your team to adopt it unless you've had that exploration to make sure that you're ready to adopt it you know, at the right moment.
2: Yeah. One thing we see, I was going to say, in terms of that data integrity... It can be overwhelming, right? As you said, you go into VR and you see floating fire extinguishers and exit signs clipped to the floor because on a 2D drawing, that looks fine. And so one of the things we like to warn people about is like, you don't want to go into this mid project unless it's a pilot and you really scope it out, right? You could overwhelm uh, a project team if like halfway through you're saying, hey, we're we're increasing our modeling standards. And so thinking through and making sure everyone's aligned on expectations, right? Like, hey, if we want to review... Like accessibility of equipment, it means that the equipment has to be properly modeled. So that's something that you know we often make sure people know going into starting to use technology like VR.
0: I wanted to touch on one other aspect of this. You know, The trend that we've observed with the construction industry over the past maybe five years uh, is a lot of companies have been bringing central innovation management teams on board. And one of the tasks that have been assigned to these teams is actually help piloting various types of technology. Sometimes these teams actually work really, really well in helping project teams map out what that journey looks like for them and com- coming over the framework of what these KPIs look like, how you guys would be able to you know, assess the value. So sometimes a lot of these folks that engage in the process are actually helping vendors like us or you know technologists like us that are working on creating methods to you know make it translatable, usable by their own project teams.
1: And I like to hear that too, because... It's, it's all too common, especially with resource constrained teams to just assume that the VDC team is going to take on the brunt of this without really identifying somebody to own the process and the changes and the exploration associated with it. And so if you do have that resource to say, OK, James is the guy who's going to think through all of this and own it and define some more responsibility you're much more likely to get adoption of any technology, whether it's AI or VR or anything else, instead of you know adding it to the pile without any real clear ownership or plan for how you're going to move forward. So, Monty, you just said five years in the past. I'd like to move now five years into the future. And of course, we're talking to this futuristic technology, so I think it's worth speculating about what's going to come next. Can we expect equally rapid improvements in AR and VR like we've experienced in the last five
0: years? Angel, you want to take that first? I'll be happy to speak about. I wanted to speak about AR and AI for sure. But if you have something you want to add,
2: yeah. In terms of advancements of VR, I do think we're moving at a very rapid pace. Like I said, we're, we're at a very interesting inflection point in VR right now, where it's untethered. We touched on this a little bit throughout the conversation. You know, there are there are resource constraints to the type of device that you choose, right? So earlier, Mani was alluding to, you can go out and scan with your phone, but you know there's an impact on quality there, but you can also make it even more accessible by using a 360 camera if you don't actually need a 3D scan. The same kind of parallels exist in VR. The exciting thing for you know developers is that just because it's resource constrained doesn't necessarily mean that um, it's impossible, right? It just means you might have to get clever with your approach to Hey, how do we take, you know, a fully federated model and get it to work on these resource constrained devices? And so the, 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 hardware is catching up, but so is the software, right? As the hardware gets better and more accessible. I think you start to see devs realize, okay, if people can pick one of those headsets up for that cheap, I have a wider audience there. And, and I should be able to reach that audience. I just have to get my, my software to actually work on that. And then there's other advancements, right? Like in the input, we talked, you know, maybe hand tracking is one way that's being experimented. One thing that was recently announced that I posted on, on LinkedIn uh, last week was some devices are experimenting with the idea of, okay, you've got this VR headset that completely you know covers your field of view and lets you teleport into a different environment, but they've got cameras for sensing your environment and tracking your movement that can then be used to pass through that actual environment. And now you've got a device that does VR and to some degree, you know, some augmented reality. It's not transparent glasses, but you still get that camera feed so that you can see. Okay, you know, let me put some data on that pipe or something along those lines with the same device that you've been using for VR. So there's a lot of exciting stuff happening both in hardware and software, and I do think uh, it will keep evolving at a rapid pace. That should not deter companies from investing though in VR and AR now. You know, you don't you don't want to wait before it's too late. I think that the tech is at a point where it is accessible and it's not really a, a future technology.
0: Angel, you just uh, made a, some really good point. You know, if I wanna comment on the AR side of it, uh, there are many different parts um, that we're gonna see in the next five years, but I wanna you know take a construction perspective to this, which is all there is to it is you're really taking in your design plus plan information, whatever that is, a schedule, safety plan, whatever information you have, and you're matching that against the reality of the job site. Or what's really happening in a form that is perhaps measurable in a form that is mapped and you know a lot of um, things that are going to happen in the next five years is contrasting between the two if you can find deviations between the design against the reality as a function of offering better situational awareness of folks that are on the site um, being able to understand progress deviations being able to understand quality differences uh, that needs immediate attention and of course safety over the past 10 years and more recently maybe around six, seven years with deep learning techniques, many AI capabilities have reached decent level of maturity that the startup and technology companies can now really use them. Uh, so what we're gonna see in the next five years, there's going to be a significant amount of AI-driven solutions especially in the context of AR that can analyze that real reality captured it, whether it's live or static, analyzing that to infer state of work in progress in contrast that the instant design. There are, of course, you know, many startup companies that are active in this space, and there's one foundational challenge. If you want to be creating these technologies, you would need a lot of ground truth data. Of course, you can, you know, make arguments about various form factors of machine learning techniques you can use, whether you have supervised, you want to take an unsupervised approach to training for those folks that are a little bit more technical. But at the bottom of all of this is the fact that that engineering judgment is something that we really, really want to make sure that it's captured properly, and we can take advantage of that too connect inference of whatever we do from the picture against that ultimate resolution that is desired to be derived. And making that connection is something that is more for journey. We love to make sure that construction companies keep their skin in the game of all these developments because they're contributing to this ecosystem of the data being captured and used as a base of uh, working. You know, earlier this uh, year, I've had the opportunity of studying a new institute of AI in construction. We have a little bit over 85 companies that are engaged. We have owners, owner reps, designers, construction companies, even VCs. And you know, one of the foundational challenges that we've tried to address is you know sort of this transformation from idea to products. And whether you want to look into it from a five-year perspective or whether you want to look into a ten-year perspective, what is happening now is that we have a lot of AI-driven products that are only touching on the low-hanging fruit opportunities in startups and technology companies. Every company should be, every construction company should be engaged with those companies to make sure they can take something from what is being developed right now and apply that to the job sites. But they should also be involved in this ecosystem so they can provide the real problems and have the researcher work on the foundational capabilities that are needed to be added into AI to enable the next Set of uh, you know capabilities that are desired. And that ecosystem and involvement of in construction companies in the entire process is actually key enabler to make sure that we can um, get into that five-year spectrum that we are mapping here.
1: Mani, and you hit on one of my favorite things about the the AEC and construction industry at large is that it's it's historically a very collaborative one. Like nobody's giving up obviously their their competitive advantage secrets or anything, but people are very interested in bettering the industry and sharing information where it's appropriate. And to hear about that ecosystem that you're a part of right now and just, you know, where I've kind of walked through the AEC world in the last 10 years, it's it's just really cool to see where we're at right now and the amount of investment that's coming into the space and just the, the wide development and the tools. And you both have made it very clear, like the five-year picture and 10-year picture for AR and VR is, is really excellent. There's going to be a lot of cool stuff coming, but out there, if you're listening, don't pause, please jump in. It sounds like there's some benefits to be drawn and, uh, and waiting and cleaning up your data and all those other things. It's It does you no benefit if you don't jump in as quickly as you're able to and have the resource. So to close out this week's episode, I have one final question that I ask every guest and it's one of my favorite things because it's it's always interesting to see the breadth of responses that I get. Uh, every week is a little bit of a surprise. So what is one tool that you will always carry in your toolbox, no matter what type of project you're working on? Angel, could you kick us off on this one?
2: Yeah, a lot of my projects are, are software-based, so I spend a lot of time on my computers. I'm, I'm a big fan of having a mechanical keyboard around at all times. Yeah, I... I I want to make sure I'm as efficient as possible as I'm as I'm typing away and sometimes uh, it can get a little loud, but it does just help me be more more efficient as either I'm like shooting off emails or writing code, Uh, a, a good mechanical keyboard is is key to me.
1: Are you one of the guys that seek out the old ones from the late 80s and early 90s and to
2: the I'm not that far down the rabbit hole. <laughs> I just think a, a good keyboard makes a makes a difference in in my productivity at least.
1: It makes sense. And it's got a different feel to it as well. You know, yeah. when you've got those very thin Bluetooth ones, like they're portable. They work well, the rechargeable talk, great, but I'm with you. The feel of that real mechanical keyboard, you know, has a big ROI. Mani, how about you? What's your one tool that you bring to every project you're working on, no matter what the project is?
0: So, you know, the type of R&D research that I perform does require a lot of images and videos. So I do computer vision, which is analyzing images and videos. And now also wearing my construction hat. I love to use images as a base of communication. If there's one medium that you can use to make sure owners, designers, and contractors on the same page is everything we've discussed today, VR and AR, which is all visual. So I love to make sure they always have a camera on me. <laughs> if it happens to be a 360 camera, if it happens to be a point and shoot camera, great. But if not, there's always a camera these days that are in your portable devices that you're carrying and you're making calls on. <laughs> uh, and you'd be able to tap into that for taking pictures.
1: I like it. And what a world that we're in now where everybody essentially everybody in the world has a camera with them at all times like the the ability to document and capture and provide that visual image about you know what you're referring to or working on definitely goes a lot further than possibly typing out a quick email so yeah thank you for sharing all right so i know both of you are working on some really cool projects right now do either of you have anything you'd like to plug or share with our listeners
2: yeah the resolve team has been hard at work making vr reviews of, of complex facilities uh, as simple as possible right we've talked about a lot of the challenges today including the the size of the data and so we want to make sure you can use it on wireless vr devices so that you don't need you know to be a VDC expert to, to use the technology and you can ship out a headset a low-cost headset to people to get feedback so if any of the use cases or or problems that we talked about today resonated with you as a listener please reach out and Resolve will be happy to partner with you.
0: There's some other areas that we're also working on that folks uh, who are listening to the podcast today might be interested in. The ability to automatically generate measurable reality maps out of any images and videos is something that we've been pushing all the boundaries that are possible on that front, meaning from a 360 video, being able to automatically map and generate measurable images, being able to automatically generate floor plan. There are many different use cases, and you might be interested in tenant improvement, you might be interested in progress tracking, you might be interested in quality control. We'd love to work with you to make sure that when we are designing these solutions, it can accommodate for specific needs that you have and it's generalizable so it can address everyone's problem as a, as a foundational capability. And of course, the other part of it is being able to map these technologies in the context of your specific workflow. The best solutions are the ones that do not make a drastic change in your process because we have so many people engaged in the pro- project and changing processes are not that easy. Of course, you may make counter arguments that you know, radical changes would happen if you change everything. But, you know, that's more of a cultural organizational issue or process related issue. Now, wearing my technologies hat, it would be best if you understand uh, what is that process that you have in mind and make sure when we are coming up with these solutions, they can easily argument or extend your existing workflow without making drastic changes that would you know show some uh uh, resistance against change.
1: It all makes sense. And for those out there who are eager to learn more directly from either of you, or you know, partner with you, what's the best way they can reach out and connect with you, Angel?
2: Yeah, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to start a conversation there. And also, I always post, you know, cool VR and sometimes the occasional AR in construction and operations content. And if you are interested in Resolve, you can also head to www.resolvebim.com and we'll get in touch.
1: Perfect. And I'm connected with you on LinkedIn and I'm thankful for it because you've been
0: posting a lot of cool stuff lately.
1: Mani, how about you? What's the best way for our listeners to reach out if they're interested
0: in learning a bit more from you? Same. I do have a presence on LinkedIn and I'm rather active on LinkedIn. So if anyone is interested, Mani gopavar you can find me easily on LinkedIn. I do have you know, presence all over the web, given the nature of the work that I do, not only at Reconstruct, but also through the university. Uh, so you can easily find me through them. But you know, if you want some generic information, videos about various form factors of uh, solutions that we're offering, www.reconstructinc.com. You'll be able to find all these videos.
1: All right. So this has been such a fantastic conversation and one of my favorite episodes so far. Both of the guests have just shared an incredible wealth of information and I feel like I would be empowered to jump into AR, VR if I was out on a project site. So for those out there still listening, thanks again for taking the time to join us on this episode of Digital Builder. If you've got any questions for me or want to appear on a future episode, you can find me on LinkedIn or via Twitter at builder underscore digital. I'm pretty active on both platforms. You can also connect with us through the Digital Builder homepage, which is construction.autodesk.com forward slash podcast. There you can sign up for our bi-weekly newsletter and suggest show topics or potential future guests. And if you're really loving the show, please do leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite player. It does make a big difference for my team. And if you can like, subscribe to, or share this episode, if you'd enjoyed it, I'd really appreciate it. And on that final note, goodbye.
0: You've been listening to Digital Builder. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening with Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Simply tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves, and then you're done. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.